0: Hey everyone, this is Rebecca. Chelsea and I have had so much fun making this podcast. We're really grateful to everyone who's listening and engaging in these critical conversations. And
1: we hope you've gotten as much out of this as we have. So we're running a contest for the holidays. For everyone who subscribes and reviews us on iTunes, we'll enter you into a drawing.
0: Two winners will be drawn on Christmas Eve to receive either a 30-minute tarot reading with Rebecca or a 30-minute intuitive guidance with Chelsea. For more details, go to listentotherising.com.
1: We want to know, how can spirituality transform our social movements? And how can activism connect us to a life that embodies radical compassion? We'll ask these questions and more on The Rising, Spirituality for Revolution.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Rising, Spirituality for Revolution.
1: I'm Rebecca Byrne. And I'm Chelsea McMillan. And we're spiritual directors exploring the intersection of spirituality and social justice.
0: So um, this week is Thanksgiving, and today we're talking about anti-racism as spiritual practice. And it's interesting, because I don't think we necessarily plan to release this episode this week, but it seems like it's really appropriate to be talking about anti-racism as a spiritual practice when we're celebrating this holiday of Thanksgiving that seems like um, it, it does have like sort of a spiritual foundation, and yet it's also really entwined with the history of colonization. And I'm just wondering, I know you had some thoughts about that, Chelsea.
1: Yeah, well, just speaking to that, I just always feel really conflicted celebrating this this holiday um, after having You know, I don't know when it happened, but um, but years ago when I sort of awoke to the the actual stories behind the pilgrims and the way that they treated the natives and how it just uh, it started this whole history that we have of this country um, of white colonialists um, and the genocide of the native peoples who are already living here together and. And, you know, I don't even know how much of the sort of traditional Thanksgiving story is actually true. You know, I think that there there are some accounts of some native folk helping out the white people, you know, the white pilgrims who had come. um, But they returned the favor by uh, by continuing to conquer the land and 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 starting an entire history of this nation, um, just putting down lots of people of color and native people and, and going on to slavery and everything. And um, so, yeah, I just, you know, and, but I like what you say about it being that there's sort of like this spiritual foundation to this, to this holiday that it's really, you know, it's not a religious holiday. It's based in, in this really great practice of gratitude. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I also think that's really important. Um, and how I think cultivating a real, uh, practice of gratitude can actually, um, can lay a foundation for a much better worldview and like coming from a, like a rich place of, abundance and a spirit of generosity that I think is really mm-hmm. important in 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 our work, you know, in the work that we're doing in the world and, um, and how we treat other people and um, how we want to share what we do have, you know, when we concentrate on what we have to give um, that can open the the door for, for so much. Um, but I'm like already sort of anticipating like long Facebook posts from my spiritual friends about how, how thankful they are for, for this and that and this and that. And, um, and I was thinking I'd really love to challenge us to take that gratitude one step further and, and actually turn it into, um, a practice of decolonization and see if we can like make a commitment to, you know, one, at least one practice of, of decolonization in our lives, whether that's like decolonizing ourselves from mass consumerism and not participating in Black Friday sales, or um, what we'll talk about today with Yardena, which is, um, which is anti-racism as a spiritual practice, you know, so.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I actually, and maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I read something recently by a uh, a man named Randy Woodley, who is a Native American theologian and seminary professor who talked about why he celebrates Thanksgiving, but also like how he's very intentional about it as as a Native American man. And um, mm. uh, anyway, I thought it really gave like an interesting perspective and like um, he was doing it with a real um, intention of like helping the rest of us sort of uh examine how we celebrate Thanksgiving. Mm, I'd love to read that. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. So today we're talking to your Dana Peacock about anti-racism as spiritual practice, although the interview ends up going to some other places as well, um, because this is somebody who's doing a lot of work around um, developing a different sort of culture within activism and organizing. And you and I were both really struck by just her presence and her energy and how different it is from a lot of the other activists that we know.
1: Yeah, I thought that, um, you know, I've been in a lot of activist circles and it can be really super high energy (laughs) yeah, and like almost to the point of like manic, you know, it's just like sometimes being in a pep rally all the time. (laughs) And, and, and there's definitely something to be said for that and, and really getting people, um, you know, energized and, and mobilized and, and that, that can be really important, but for a lot of us, um, it can be, especially for introverts, you know, people are a little more like, you know, need some time to refill. Um, it can be really depleting actually, you know, I say that. And even as like, I consider myself as an extrovert and like, I find it really depleting. I helped organize a rally right after Trump's inauguration and, and it was really exciting, but I just, I got like really swept up in the high energy of it. And then I was just like out Afterward, like yeah. I just crashed and felt so empty, and 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 if so, if there's not something like after that to kind of keep you going, you know, then I th- I think that, I mean, we see this in in a lot of um, organizations and activist culture in general that there's so much burnout. Yeah, and so I think your Dana has brought a lot of. Uh, she's a yoga teacher, and she um, started bringing a lot of that healing aspect to. Her organizing work, and um, yeah. so I, yeah, I think we are both really struck by that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had these experiences, you know. I I think people kind of understand, like a lot of the activists that I've known, um, and and I'm not, you know, like I'm someone who's like been in these circles and I've been on the periphery of these communities without being an organizer myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what. I've seen is that there's a lot of times a lot of lip service paid to the idea of like, yeah, we need to slow down. We need to, Mm. we need to like take care of ourselves, but there's, it's not embodied (laughs) in people's Mm -hmm. lives. Like there's not a real, um, it it seems like it's like an idea that people can acknowledge without really understanding how to make it happen. And I remember Mm -hmm. being in a training one time where I was just, you know, I was feeling very dysregulated for a number of reasons, but I remember thinking, like, maybe it's just me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe it's because I'm an introvert or this just isn't my scene. And it's interesting because I I later talked to some other people who were coming from a more spiritual perspective who had uh, been to some of the same trainings and just said, yeah, like, there was a lot of really great information and there were a lot of really good things there. But there was something about the energy that was just too intense and very dysregulating. And like you said, the pep rally, the like rah, 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 and it felt um, a little ungrounded. Ungrounded, yeah. I think is and And one of the things I realized is that, you know, a lot of people who are organizers are actually very gifted at, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way when I say manipulating, but sort of, um, yeah, sort of like working with other people's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and there's, a, there's a real gift to being able to like get people excited and to like raise the sort of um, raise that energy, you know, um, and get people like into that really excited state. But it is excitement is a high arousal state. And on a physiological level, excitement and anxiety are essentially the same thing. It's just whether we experience it uh, as something positive or negative. And in a way, um, when we are when we're like creating so much of that energy, that like high arousal, like let's get excited, let's go, 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 go. Um, when you're doing that regularly, and and that becomes the default mode of orientation, that's something that on a physiological and emotional, psychological, and spiritual level, I don't think is tremendously sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was really, yeah, I like you. I was really struck by um, your Dana just even listening back over the recording that we made um in preparation for this introduction i was like wow she really has a very different energy Mm -hmm. and i really am excited to see what she's going to bring into activist and organizing culture me too Uh, okay yeah so here's our interview with Yardana.
1: Yardena Peacock is a spiritual teacher, writer, and organizer in Louisville, Kentucky. She is the director of Liberation School, a healing and spirituality school for changemakers that is the first of its kind located in the southern U.S., and the author of The Practice of Showing Up Guidebook, an anthology for white people working for racial justice. Over the span of her career, she has helped to found seven social justice organizations, including the U.S.-based network Showing Up for Racial Justice, otherwise known as SURGE, and she served as lead facilitator and curriculum designer for trainings on anti-racism and social justice at the Anne Braden Institute for Social Justice Research, the U.S. Social Forum, the Highlander Research and Education Center, Curvy Yoga, and more. Yardena is also a 500-hour certified yoga practitioner and teacher, having studied traditional yoga and holistic healing for over 15 years. Welcome, Yardena. Thanks. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yardena,
0: I'm wondering if you can tell us your story. Um, we're interested in what brought you to social justice and anti-racist work, and, and how does some of your healing practices play into that?
2: Well... I get asked this question a lot, I'm always trying to figure out where to start. Um, I think I'll start in my 20s. I moved to Tucson, Arizona for a period of time and was working with young people in South, South Tucson, a Latinx neighborhood, and really got burnt out um, and overwhelmed and became really hopeless in in working and organizing with those folks um, because of the amount of violence uh, in the community, the amount of police brutality, and young people were dying. And I had a yoga practice at the time. I was also uh, heavily into, you know, drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism for trauma, my own personal trauma, but also the trauma of the work, and completely, completely broke and moved back to Kentucky, it took a year, you know, just to recover and started work, went to Northern Kentucky University, where I met a woman by the name of Ann Braden, who is a white anti-racist woman um, from Kentucky, from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, who was really the first person who gave me a language for kind of what happened in, in that moment when I broke, when I broke down in Tucson, uh, gave me the language for oppression and for whiteness and white supremacy and for trauma, although she didn't call it call it that at the time and invited me to step into, into joining her and, and other students on campus who were organizing for racial justice. And just, there was a lot of hope in that. And so I stepped into that and she brought me to Louisville, Kentucky, um, In the year that she transitioned from this physical world, and I was adopted into a social justice community that really brought me up um, in my organizing work and my racial justice consciousness and my anti-racism with folks who, you know, have also helped found Surge and were, you know, the beginning thinkers of Surge, like Pam McMichael and Carla Wallace um, here in Louisville. So. That's a little bit about how I kind of came into organizing work and, and social justice consciousness. Again, alongside this journey, I was practicing yoga and i very interested in holistic healing and kind of getting anything I could around it um, to deal with my own pain and trauma um, from childhood. And then in that exploration and in this merging between like that world and my social justice world folks uh, activists and change makers and comrades that I was working with were asking for healing and asking me to lead healing sessions and healing accompaniment and hold them in their own trauma and I guess I'll stop there I could say a lot more but that was kind of the, the beginning seeds for for what I do really now.
0: I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what you mean by anti-racism for people who aren't familiar with that term and why you feel like, why is that kind of a necessary term and why, I'm wondering too, how, how specifically did discovering that framework or that sort of way of being speak to the experiences that you had in Tucson? Mm-hmm.
2: You know, anti-racism ah, is such an important term for me. And I've had a lot of debates, especially with white spiritual practitioners around this, because folks have said, well, I'm not anti-anything. Um, like anti is is to be against. And, you know, we can't be against if we're going to, you know, step into enlightenment. And for me, I'm like, well, you know, most spiritual traditions have it at its very core non-violence. So that's a non-thing. <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> Um, we, we take a stand, you know, a, a moral, um, liberatory stance uh, around things. I, I guess I, for me, anti-racism is an important term because it, it's an active, it's a practice, it's an active, mm-hmm. um, something you're stepping into. You're saying, this world that we live in is, is full of racism. Mm-hmm. Racism exists within my body exists within my relationships with people, whether those are white, white folks or people of color. Racism exists systemically in the world. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I'm adopting an anti-racist approach, which mean, which means I'm constantly, you know, and I mean constantly in the sense of like that's that's the goal, to constantly be considering how am I working f- to uphold this racist system, or how am I working to dismantle it? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's a touchstone and a foundation. And for me, the language of of white anti-racism was huge. I mean, when Anne offered that up, it completely, it was one of those identity shifts, you know, complete breaking open. Because before that point, you know, when I was speaking about working, you know, with the young people in Tucson, there was just this kind of unspoken. You just figure it out. Um, you figure out how to how to do this, and you're this white person. We know that. You know you're working in this Latinx neighborhood. We're accepting you, and you're white. You look like the people that are killing us. You look like the people that mm-hmm. are the teachers who are giving us Fs, even though our you know our papers are are well written. Um, you look like that, and so for me. And I think for a lot of white folks, there's this feeling of I'm white and I'm a bad person, and I have a lot of mm-hmm. guilt and shame around this whiteness. And when Ann Braden offered up this language, this understanding of anti-racism, she was saying, "Yes, you're white. However, you have a you have a, an opportunity now. You can choose uh, choose to step into a different kind of history, and that is." White, you know, white anti-racism work, or you can go forth and, and live in the privilege bubble um, and just uphold systems of oppression, which hurt all of us. They hurt you, and it's very, I mean, very connected to the reason why I completely burnt out and broke down in Tucson.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I didn't have any practice or tools outside of my yoga practice, but I didn't have the systemic analysis of what was happening which was that I was overcome with guilt and shame and trauma about being white and, and not knowing how to change or shift anything. When it seemed like the very people that were in the very systems, you know, that were, were causing so much violence looked like me. And I'm wondering... Oh, go ahead, Chelsea.
1: Well, I was just curious. Um, I mean, it just seems to me that even the term anti-racism is indicative of how we need to um, acknowledge that healing needs to happen before we can sort of um, move on to, you know, whatever utopian ideals that we have about the world. And how, um, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like your own yoga practice, like how you had this yoga practice, but because you weren't healing your own traumas, it wasn't working you didn't say this. I'm just sort of, I'm sort of asking this question, like, because you weren't like concentrating on, on actually healing what needed to be healed, then the thing that was supposed to sort of keep you going wasn't working. Like you were burning out anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it seems to me that there's sort of a a correlation between those two things. Like we need to acknowledge that, that there's pain and trauma to be healed.
2: Absolutely. You know, and I think that I mean, unfortunately, how how yoga is taught, and especially in the beginning years of my practice, you know, in a Western context, is often very very separate from the actual intentions of of the liberatory practice of yoga, which is a deep going in, and the point of that going in is so that the out the outward action matches the transformative work that's happening internally that in you know includes healing, and you know, at that time, you know, was skimming the surface of a lot of things as, you know, a lot of us do as white people, you know, especially we have a lot of opportunity to, to skim the surface and to to stay in, you know, a, a different world, not not a world of reality, but a world of convenience and to avoid the pain. And again, I think this is why, you know, the debate about like, let's not talk about anti-racism. Let's not talk about you know, pain. Let's not talk about the hard stuff. You know, that's not spiritual. Um, for me, that that is, that is very spiritual. I mean, it's spiritual bypassing when you don't have the deep conversations and don't do the deep work of dismantling internalized racism and supremacy and all of the things.
1: Yeah. And you've talked about anti-racism work as a spiritual practice. Can you say a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. I've, I believe that for white folks, anti-racism is so much the work of of healing the trauma that we carry in our bones and tissue and blood from our ancestors and if we're not going to address or change or shift how we're showing up as white people then that will continue so for me anti-racism I mean like I said before it's a practice you know and for me practice is about you show up to it and you make mistakes and you know, you practice really good and then you fall off of it, but you keep showing up to it over and over and over again. The more you show up to it, the deeper you go, the more you're held in that possibility of what's possible. And I think you lifted it up as this utopian world. And I like to think about it as a beloved community. It's something we've not yet built. And yet there's moments of it that we build all the time. Moments that people experience on their mats or on their cushions. People experience, you know, in their families or with, friends, people experience outside in the natural world. And I feel like we need to knit together more of those moments of actually embodying liberation and how we are. And for me as a white person, that's about stepping in, claiming, naming, bringing other folks into this practice of anti-racism as a spiritual path of healing, ancestral healing, and, and healing what this world could look like and who we can be in this world. To return to our humanity and to return to the divinity that we are, but have not yet actualized if we if we continue to deny that racism is real or that we're complicit in it unless we dismantle it.
0: And I'm wondering, Dana if you can speak to a little bit the you talk about the trauma that white people that um, in the anti-racist practice that dealing with our own trauma uh, around our own whiteness. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that because I can see a lot of people saying, looking at that and saying, well, what white people are the ones in power? Like, why do they have trauma? Why do, why do they need to heal their trauma? Or, or why do we need to heal our trauma? Um, and can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Mm-hmm. So the tra- the trauma is both the trauma that we carry from the, the, our history, you know, mm-hmm. from the founding of the U.S. and also you know, the world and the way colonization has played out, the trauma of the, perp, you know, the perpetrator, any kind of person who enacts violence on another one, usually there has been some violence that's been enacted upon them. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what white supremacy is. It's, it's violence that has been enacted upon all of us and that we've maintained as white folks when we don't step out of that mm-hmm. and question and practice anti-racism. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting
0: because we've been having some conversations with other people and, and will be having these conversations on the podcast. But um, I think there's, there's something there too uh, that seems like it can potentially be supportive to anti-racism. About understanding that even as white people, we have our own indigenous identities that go way, 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 way back that were sort of obliterated at some point by colonization, whether it was, you know, Celts being overrun by the Roman Empire or whatever it is. And um, understanding that that there is some of that trauma, not to sort of claim it as a as a, well, we're just as oppressed as everyone else. <laughs> But understanding that, that, that that's there and that a lot of us have taken it, and not necessarily of our own will, but because we've been born into systems where we, that was all we knew, but we've, we've carried that history of trauma and colonization and um, conquering. And then we've continued to enact it and, um, and perpetrate it on other people. And it seems like right now we really have this opportunity to say, "Hey, we really want to figure out how we can break this cycle and how we can break
2: the chain." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, one of one of uh, white supremacy's greatest goals is to disconnect people from where they come from. And you get a group of folks in a room. Oftentimes, I'll lead you know cultural organizing or cultural based workshops and. You get a multiracial group in the room and you ask them to do cultural sharing, people of color often have no problem sharing about their culture. White folks are like, I'm not sure what my culture is. And I mean, that's that's a great win for white supremacy is not to know our roots and our heritage and where we come from and not to identify that there is a culture. You know, And, and currently it's, you know, often a culture that's toxic, but we can we can center healing and center a different way. Yeah, thank you for
0: that, Yordana. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about what some of those specific practices look like. Like, how does the practice of showing up to anti-racism um, look like for you on a in your daily life and in the way that you um, you sort of organize?
2: So for one thing I kind of like to think about it as a like a three three three-pronged approach like there's your body which which provides so much information for you all the time and getting connected to your body and being in your body and healing your body and then there's the interpersonal your relationships with others and then there's the systemic and so the culture happens in all those places too right um so a practice of, of being in our bodies is such a huge practice of being able to, to show up to anti-racism because if we're in tune with our bodies when something happens that is challenging or hard, we experience that first there, right? You feel a little tension in your heart or you know, a little tightness at your shoulder. So observing that, being in your body and, and observing that that's happening, which is a, a great tool for for being present and knowing that something's arising for you. Um, and then breathing, breathing into your body and regulating the stress response that occurs when you're being challenged or you're being called out or called in or whatever. But to be, to be present, to keep showing up. Um, and then... You know, interpersonally, I think um, first I, again, it really starts with grounding in the body. So, like having the practice of being able to like ground in your body and know that like this is this is larger than you. Uh, for me, it's deeply ancestral work when when we're having challenge challenges across race and even with other white folks. Um, and before, I mean, over time and time and time again, you know, is avoidance or Not to talk about or not to hold space with each other around hard things. For example, you know, someone says, oh, you just did that thing. And that was like really, that was really racist or that that really hurt me. To be able to show up and to go deep into that conversation, a bit of like a tunneling in, I like to think about, and locating in the body the place of pain and breathing into it and going into it. And finding the seed that exists beyond the surface tension or the surface um, pain, there's deeper pain in conversations with other holding space with other folks, especially around conflict. This is an opportunity to tunnel in together. Again, I think there has to be a lot of work that's done. You just don't do this with someone you've just met, you know. Uh, Um, But I think just, I think observing is like so key. Um, I mean, example, you know, recently had a conflict with someone and, you know, tried to address it a few times. And that person really just didn't want to address it with me. And a very white culture response, you know, and and a kind of habit or way of being, I want everybody to like me. And I want to, to resolve this and tie it up in a bow, check it off the list, you know. And this person was resistant to that. And so for me, it was about letting go and giving them the space. They just didn't want to have resolve. And instead of pushing or pushing myself on them, it was just observing that that was happening, that I was desiring that, and the person was desiring something different. And then to step back and trust that that's what they needed and that's what I needed. And samskaras are the seeds of... Of behavior, habits, ways of being that that keep us in a rut or a way of being, and sometimes they can be good, and sometimes they're they're not. But the idea, you know, part of yoga uh, practice is to is to unroot the samskaras that block you or keep you away from your dharma or living into your your divine purpose in the world, um, to being the best and fullest person, sacred being that you can be. And I don't even know why I was talking about those now because I get caught up. But um, I guess I th- I I think I consider a lot of, consider that a lot that when I'm like hitting up against blocks or I'm hitting up against challenges in my you know anti racism work uh, or well, like how to be a better anti racism person or like in my interpersonal relationships or or when I'm kind of going into a deeper transformation around like what does it mean to be a white person in this world right now a lot of that for me is around samskaras and I think it was Nikki Meyer who wrote something it was called like the samskaras of isms and and I wrote something around like karma and and racism for white folks and so I think a lot about it is like whiteness white culture white supremacy as some samskaras within white people's beings that we have to constantly unroot and reroute into a different way anyway i think about it as samskaras that we have to unroot those and so practice helps us do that um and those practices can look a lot of different ways but oftentimes um for me that's about ritual and ceremony and creating altars um Doing a lot of listening in for for spiritual direction.
1: Are there any practices from your lineage or heritage that you call upon for this kind of work? Yes. My background
2: is um Irish, Welsh, Scott, Italian, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and Where'd you get a name like Peacock? That's <laughs> English.
1: <laughs> oh really? Wow. Uh-huh. I guess that makes sense.
2: Um and I know a lot about my Italian um, side of the family because that's my mother's, the maternal side, and my father wasn't in my life much. So I know less about less about the other side. Um, what I've come to recently understand, though, is is more of a felt spiritual connection and sense. Um, like I'm often. Given things, and I'm not sure where they come from, and I believe that they're passed down uh, ancestrally. And I've done a little bit of research and looking into paganism, um, but don't completely fully connect to it. And I I feel like every I don't know every year is a, a deeper understanding of kind of what exactly the the spiritualities that live within my bones are, and. So right now it's a lot of a lot of just listening into the to the deep past. Mm. Um, I do a lot of ancestral healing work by myself, which usually looks like listening in to, to folks that I'm not sure where they come from or, or who they are. And just I think a a continued honed in intuition and, and following following that as much as possible.
1: Mm.
0: Um, I really love what you're sharing about the ancestral stuff and it's interesting. I mean, it's what kind of our whole, the last episode we recorded was all about. And it's something that I think is so necessary. And so, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just
1: like really feeling
0: a lot of resonance. Yeah. About what you're saying.
1: Something's rising up in the consciousness sort of in the collective.
0: Yeah, yes. I would just was like. Thank you for sharing
1: that. I didn't. For sure.
2: For sure. No. Yeah. I mean, I I tell the story. I mean, there, I think there's so many times when we can walk between the worlds. I mean, I've had that experience often and I was recently in Boston. It was right after Charlottesville and it was just before um, there was going to be a similar action by white supremacists in Boston Um, So it was kind of in between those two moments, and I was in Boston leading leading a workshop training around white anti-racism as a spiritual path, and I mean, all kinds of interesting things were happening. I had this long conversation with this street medic who does a lot of um, trauma support work and was preparing, you know, to be at this Boston protest along with, you know, spiritual directors and healers and, and other folks. And for some reason, we started talking about ancestor, ancestors, and I started to, you know, basically talking about some of the things I've already shared tonight, today, around hearing ancestors or feeling it or, or being led, you know, by that. And, and, you know, I think I had said at that time, like, for me, white anti-racism is ancestral healing, and I said, I'm not really sure why I'm telling you all of this. He's like, well, it's interesting because, um, he's like, I was on, on site, uh, doing some trauma support, um, it specifically it's called in usually around homicides and it offers trauma support to the families. And this, uh, auntie, uh, came up to me and started telling me that my uncle from Ireland was begging me to return home. And... Wow, basically, you know, saw my uncle and um, and gave me this message, and so then I went to Ireland and started to, you know, dive deep into my, um, into my history, my past, and understood like, you know, more about where I come from and who I am, and I I you know, we've wrapped up the conversation and said we would pick it up again later. And and I walked, you know, I was tired and went into bed and was like browsing Netflix or something. I picked up this random movie that was supposed to be about like something around the border, the Mexican border. And the movie was really slow in the beginning. So I just, just clicked to like this, the middle randomly. And the exact conversation that I was just having about five minutes ago with this person in the other room was resumed in this movie. Wow. Wow. And then the next morning I went to get some body work done because, I, again, I was like exhausted and just holding lots of folks trauma. And sometimes, you know, when you do the trauma work, spiritual work, you, you just yeah. keep everything in. Yeah. And so one of the ways that I'm able to continue to show up to that as, you know, to work with other healers and other spiritual practitioners and and for folks to hold space for me. So thank you for doing the intention setting in the beginning. <laughs> um, it's important not to always, yeah. you know, be doing it yourself for yourself and for everybody else. Um, and so anyway, I was laying and I don't, this person did Reiki and, 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 you know, physical body work too. She started talking to me she led me through this meditation that I've led well, I don't know, hundreds of folks through. that again, I intuitively kind of came to me and was using the exact same words that like I've used. And she just started leading me through this. And I was like, what is happening? And then she started telling me, it's okay, like there's more of us here. And we're sort of finding each other right now. And just started talking to me from a, like a deep ancestral place. And that was like a moment where, I really was like felt like I was walking between the worlds of of what's possible when we we open up and go into our past and our history and and open up to that that deep voice that always is there, um, which I consider the voice of God. Uh, but in this culture we're we're taught to distance ourselves from it so much. For me, I mean, my dharma is to communicate with God and to teach others to do the same. And I believe that that when we do that, when we open up to, to that place within, which I think is so hard for white people mm-hmm. um, to access, because we've distanced ourselves from it from the very beginning. And yet the medicine and the spiritual connectivity that does exist for us as human beings is right there. We just have to go into to the pain and the layers and, and take the time and, and open up and be vulnerable and, and do all the things that take us away from the, the white hard shells that keep us away from each other and keep us disconnected and keep us in perfectionism and martyrdom and, and all the things that, that basically just wreak havoc on our bodies, our minds, our spirits and essentially divide us from ourselves, each other, and what we're really, I mean, I believe, you know, the Dharma of, of our time, which for me and for white folks, I believe is is to step into anti-racism as a spiritual path.
1: I'm so curious to know about your journey of sort of bringing this work to activists, because I feel like, although I definitely see it growing, um, I still have friends who are like, you know, a lot of them are kind of like old school hardcore activists who are like, totally not into anything woo woo. And if we were to like, take a moment to like, meditate for a minute before, you know, just silent meditation before we started something or to like, set an intention or, (laughs) um, you know, talk about anything that that sounds even remotely spiritual, they're like, No, this is like, woo woo bullshit you know mm-hmm. so I'm just wondering like if like how y- your journey has been around that um, you know coming out of the spiritual closet
2: <laughs> well I'm always coming out of the spiritual closet
1: I've just come out of it more with y'all <laughs> um, this is this is the tell all episode Gardena I mean that's pretty much how I roll so <laughs> I'm not surprised um,
2: you know I as you move through culture, you know, you use different language for things, you know? And, um, and for me, it's about deep listening. I mean, that's a real core uh, tenet of cultural organizing that we deeply listen um, when we're moving in and out of culture, in and out of space and community. And so if folks are coming to me, you know, in the beginning, how it was is, oh, I, you know, I have this physical, tension in my hip like what should I do about it what kind of yoga pose can we do um or oh you eat healthy like what's what should I be eating like this thing is happening you know it's like you just Mm. use the language that people are giving you and for a long time it was that you know very kind of like at that level I mean activists were asking for it um because they were feeling harm you know within their bodies and within their minds and hearts And then I think, you know, over the last few years, love, you know, has often been the language, like, how do we create a culture Mm. of love and care? I mean, people want to have a culture of love and care. Like, you don't want to, you know, step into spaces and and feel competition and separateness and, you know, suspicion and all of that. And so, I mean, for example, when I was in Boston recently doing that workshop, I mean, that was really about how do we create how do we create a white anti-racist culture that is about interconnectivity you know at the very base basic like believe in spirituality or not but what i'm talking about is is returning to interconnectivity and folks want to feel connected they don't want to be in isolation they want to be connected and it's i mean it's a deep human yearning so oftentimes i'll talk about it you know in that way um i mean some of the things i've been sharing right here like i really don't share very often i'm not sure who your audience is but um i don't often share it very often but i did just you know participate in the liberation school leadership retreat at the highlander research and education center Um, and liberation school is a a nine-month holistic healing spiritual school um that really came to me in meditation and and came to me in practice about 10 years ago. Um, and has, you know, finally manifested in the world with the, with the help of an amazing lead organizing leadership team, um, mostly of folks in the South. And that experience was something like I've never experienced before because it's specifically for folks that identify as spiritual
1: Mm. and
2: identify as healers and identify as activists and organizers. And I have not been in a space with folks at that intersection um, so deeply before. I've been in spaces where folks are interested to do healing or interested in how to be more resilient and Of that, but I haven't been in, you know, I haven't been in a space where radical healers and and spiritual activists and there was no faith, no spiritual tradition that was holding all of us. It was just come as you are, offer what you are. And there were so many moments throughout that weekend where, I mean, worlds opened up. I mean, it was literally like we were in a different place. And so much ceremony and ritual that went into crafting us getting there, you know. I think folks who folks who are spiritual or who have you know spiritual practices are uh, really important to them, and healing practices important to them have been really marginalized in movements for change, and often feel like they're they just don't quite have a place. I know for myself, I definitely felt like that for many years too, until. I really stepped into to doing the work of, you know, at the intersections of spirituality, healing and social justice um, at a time when, you know, folks were kind of like, OK, you know, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, and I would say definitely in the last few years and uh, that has, that work has proliferated in a much larger, larger way because folks are tired you know, folks who have been in this work for a long time are tired, you know, of the accumulation of trauma that's gone un- unaddressed um, and, you know, many folks, you know, from healing justice communities, you know, from the founding of the Kindred Healing Justice Collective with Kara Page and, you know, all the work at the Allied Media Conference, Adrienne Marie Brown and other folks um, you know, have really been calling for centering healing and our movements for change and the leadership of cultural organizers in the South, Safara waller Mohammed and Ebony Noah-Golden and, and many, many others, um, which I, you know, and I believe in looking at history, culture, art, healing has been integral, you know, since the beginning of time in organizing work, but it's often not acknowledged as such. It's, um, it's the side, side note and yet in Southern organizing, it's very key. I mean, it's gathering together around a meal. It's building relationships. It's taking care of each other's kids. It's you know, singing together. It's playing music together. It's, um, it's creating art together. Uh, and, and what that does is it, it helps us step into the radical imagination. Again, moving back to the beginning of this conversation of the world not yet realized. Um, we have to imagine that world. And in order to imagine it, you have to embody it and live it. And and we do that through art. We do that through culture making. We do that through healing. We do that through spiritual practice. Without those things, we don't get glimpses into to what what what's the point. (laughs) Um, So liberation school was really born out of this this need and desire for folks to come out of isolation, to come out of the spiritual closet, and to because even I would say you know healing justice you know. Is amazing and has a spiritual lens, depending upon who you're speaking to. And I would consider, you know, liberation school coming out of a lot of those lineages. Um, but spirituality was important for us because I don't want to be in a spiritual closet anymore. Other folks don't, and and to find each other to to be able to gather in space, you know, to heal, to to practice, to learn across tradition and to learn across healing practices across region um you know in the south and and virtually over this nine months you know it is is a bit a big inquiry like how do we do that how do we center spirituality and healing for our movements for change because i mean what i've seen and what others have seen and believe is that we have to center that um because it fortifies our beings and it connects us to to what's possible and without that you know burnout trauma overwhelm you know wins I mean which that's all connected to systems of oppression I mean that's for me why why those things exist to the extent that they do
1: yeah it's amazing all of these um you know, it's just that relationship between the inner and the outer and it's happening on all levels. And, um, as we're doing our own work and our own personal transformation and our social transformation, you know, our work in, in the collective transformation and healing. Um, so it sounds like you're working on that on all levels and it's just so beautiful to hear about all of the amazing work you've done and are doing and, um, and yeah, it's just really exciting to sort of get a peek at this uh, point in your journey and um, being a leader in that for uh, many people. Um, and, and we're curious, this is how we usually end the program um, is just asking each other. Well, should I, maybe I should ask first, like if there's anything else we should touch on, um, but it just kind of felt like a nice.
0: Yeah. If there's anything that your Dina really wants to say, um, but otherwise we should probably go into into yeah the conclusion because I know she her time is limited so
2: yeah there's one thing that's coming up for me that I want to say and that's around around the journey I feel like um I feel like in practice we have a lot of cycles uh we get really excited we learn something you know we show up to it with vigor (laughs) and then and then something happens and we fall off um and and we return and there's a recommitment cycle. Um, and then again, something happens and, and we fall off and then we return again. And, you know, oftentimes we stay at the surface level for a long time. And then like maybe eventually we go deeper. Um, I think it's oftentimes in the pain, painful moments when we we turn to practice that that we're, we're able to go even deeper, deeper um, in the times when it's it's so challenging uh, to, to do anything at all. Um, then we get to a place of like, oh yes, like we're deep, you know, we've done this practice. We, we, we know we're like, you know, we're deep or we're like in the know. And then something else happens that completely like spins us out of like, oh wow. Like that was still the surface. And so, you know, I feel like for a long, for, for you know period of time um, before this past year, I was definitely operating in a, in a sense of, oh yeah, I'm deep like, anti racism like I got that down. I'm like, I know what that's about. I've been doing that for a long time. I have relationships. I have you know, shown up to conflict, showing up to accountability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then this year completely has changed everything, um, in terms of of what it means to be working for racial justice at as a white person in this time. And it's, I've made so many mistakes operating from that place of, oh no, like I, I got this down. Uh, and what this year is really teaching me a lot about is humility and mm. and to turn back in to practice and, and to just continue to know that we're always, you know, maybe a little bit deeper than the surface, but that there's so much more to go. So I just want to offer up that, I don't consider myself an anti-racist expert and I don't consider myself a white person who has it all figured out and who does it well. I make mistakes all the time. And for me, the practice is you just keep showing up uh, with a a deepened understanding and you address the pain um, that you cause and that you feel and you don't run away from it. That's what the practice has helped me to do is is to be able to get back in. And and that that to me is about strengthening our resiliency as as practitioners of white anti-racism. Yeah, so I just wanted
1: to say that wow, yeah. Yeah. That's that's so important to hear. Mm. Just keep showing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz <'cause> that's <laughs>
0: that's that's the hard part is like when we realize that maybe we have fallen short of our own ideals or just haven't been everything that we thought we were to to have that humility to say okay this is another opportunity for me to le- learn and grow and i'm not going to run away from the discomfort so i know that um you don't we don't have a lot of time left i'd like to uh turn to our conclusion which we like to end our episodes by um just asking what is inspiring or nourishing you right now. And I feel like our whole episode has been like talking about that, but maybe just like a recommendation for a practice or a piece of music or art or whatever it is that's inspiring or nourishing you right now.
2: Hmm. I mean, Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Murray Brown is, a, is inspiring me right now, which is a book and a body of work. Uh, Black Futurism is inspiring me right now. I mean, people in general are inspiring me right now. And then also conflict is inspiring me right now. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, going, going into that in my own body and in my own relationships um, and using ritual and ceremony and, and listening in and tunneling into my body to, to figure out how to show up to that differently and better. Thank you. What about you, Chelsea?
1: Um, right now, I would say that alone time is really inspiring me. I'm not very good about taking alone time. I'm a very extroverted person and, and get really fed by, uh, my relationships and being in community. Um, but I've really felt the need to sort of, um, just be by myself a lot lately. And, um, I actually, um, sublet my room in Brooklyn for the entire month of October and I've been up in upstate New York and uh, a a lot of it will be spent in community but a lot of it's also been spent um, just doing my own thing for like 10 days Mm -hmm. and it's been so nourishing and um, refreshing and I resisted it at first, (laughs) you know, the first few days I was like, I'm bored, I need people around me. Um, But it's been really, really just feeding me in a very like simple, uh, kind of beautiful way, taking walks around, you know, through the leaves, everything's changing up here. And it's just been really, really beautiful and grounding for me. And Rebecca, what about you? Um, Well, actually, last night, I went to
0: a screening of a movie called Crazy Wise, um, which is by a filmmaker who lives here, who lives in Seattle, I live in Tacoma, and so he came down, we're not far from Seattle, Um, he crowdfunded it. And it's really all about Um, how our culture deals with people who have mental health breakdowns, especially like what we call psychotic breaks or whatever, where they're hearing voices or having this experience of expansion and transcendence and connecting with um, a different world and how our culture, Western, white, Western culture wants to sort of pathologize that and medicate it versus the way that traditional cultures have often seen that as, as uh, the beginnings of having a calling to some sort of healing practice. Um, and, and how other cultures and communities are often able to hold people who are having these experiences in ways that are very loving. And they're given mentors to like, sort of guide them through it um, and help them find their own um, healing practice, basically. Um, and so it was so interesting. It, it's. It it does a good job, I think, of both not, like, over-romanticizing what's happening. You know, like, they acknowledge, they say, like, even in indigenous cultures, not everybody who hears spirits or voices necessarily becomes a shaman or a healer, you know. Um, And, yeah, I think it does a, a good job of sort of um, not, like, objectifying or, or over-romanticizing other cultures, but really um, ask like, what is the wisdom that we can begin to learn from them? And it was great because there was a really great turnout. There was, like, spiritual healers and psychics there. There were, like, mental health providers. There were mental health patients. Um, and it, people whose lives have been touched by mental illness – And it was just a really great community discussion about, like, how do we begin to, like, build a different culture um, around some of these issues? And how do we, like, begin to, to, like, create community that can sort of, like, guide people through some of these experiences? And... um, it was really cool in fact the filmmaker his name is phil borges was like i really like tacoma like this is a great place (laughs) so it was super uh that was just super nourishing to be part of like a a, just a cool community event like that and i recommend the movie you can check it out i think it's um if you google it crazy wise movie it's online great thanks all right well yeah thank you for being here your um we really, really appreciated it and uh, just excited for the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. I'm looking forward to staying connected.
1: If you want to hear more episodes on spirituality and activism, check out listentotherising.com. And even better, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time on The Rising.